All right, everybody, come on in. And if you'll come on in, find a seat, we'll get started. Welcome. And those of you that have notes, we have the ongoing notes. We, the first week, handed out the full set for the entire series, this series on making peace. And many of you have remembered to bring those back the last couple of weeks, today being the third of our six weeks. Uh, but I am told that uh, we have some new folks who needed a copy, and then some of the old folks didn't remember to bring their copy, and so we've, we've run out of copy. So we are making some more as I speak. So my apologies to those of you who don't have notes in front of you. Hopefully we can rectify that soon. We're making some. Page 11 in the notes that you do have. And before we get into those, let me make a few announcements. One is about a couple of books. I mentioned in the first hour during the sermon the Made for More book by Hannah Anderson. Uh, ladies, those are, are for you. They're in our resource center, and uh, they're $5 today. Uh, and we also, there's a book that accompanies these notes that we've handed out, and it's called Making Peace, and it is by Ken Sandy, S-A-N-D-E, and we have uh, multiple copies of that book that we purchased for this series also in our resource center, and those are, are $10. So if you want to know more than what you have in the notes, then I encourage you to buy the, the book. Here are some things that are coming up. After we are finished with this series in, in a few weeks, on June the 12th, June the 12th, during this hour, the second hour, we're going to have four classes going on, and we're asking you to register for those, those classes because it's going to help us, it's going to help us with space allocation because uh, we need to know how many people are going to be in each. And the four classes are Crossroads and Cross... What, what do we got? Okay, there it is. Yay, that one. Uh, Crossroads class is our young adult class, uh, college and career class. They will be meeting in a classroom. Uh, we know the size of that class. But then we have uh, three others. And one of those is a marriage class. And the marriage class, uh, we need to know not so much for space allocation, but rather for who's in it, because that class, the marriage class, is going to have small groups. We're going to set up in here. And we're going to have, after the worship service, round tables set up in here for the second hour. So while we're having bagels and coffee, we're going to have guys setting up the round tables in here. And those classes then will have eight people in a small group at one of those round tables. And we need to assign folks to those, those tables. And the reason we're doing that is we want to have a separate a young married group and a uh, home builders group, uh, older married. And we want to put them together in those small groups. That means we need to know who they are ahead of time so we can assign them. So that very first week, you know which table you're at, you know who you're with, and then you can do that every week, all 12 weeks of the series. So the material is going to be the same for the young married and the, the home builders, but we want the discussion to have you in your own demographic at those tables. So we need the registration both for space allocation, but also, and importantly, for what I just said, being able to know who's coming and then where to assign you for your, for your small group. So please don't put that off. Uh, it won't hurt my feelings if, while I'm talking now, you were to go on our app and you were to actually register for the, the class or go on our website. Now, sometimes while I'm preaching, 
somebody will send me an email. And I know they sent me an email because I get home and I have an email from somebody and I look at the timestamp and I say, I was just getting wound up at that point and they, and they sent me an email. So I call them on it, but I'm not going to call you on it if you register now for one of these classes. So it is the Young Adult Class Crossroads, it is the Marriage Class, and then we have a 60 and over class, Senior Servants Class, and Dr. Combs and I are going to tag team on that. And we're going to emphasize uh, that those of us that are in that stage, and I'm now in that stage at 60, uh, those of us that are in that stage really need to think about our mentoring of the next generation and our grandkids and those that God's put in our church and in our sphere generally. So we're going to be talking about that uh, in large part during that, those 12 weeks in that class, Senior Servants, and that's a sizable group in our, our church. So if all of y'all show up, and I hope you do, then that means we have to figure out where the space is going to be because it would be more than a classroom. We have this, the areas, but we need to know where we need to put them. And then uh, the fourth class is a class on the book of Ephesians. So we have all of those. Please register for them, and if you could do that today, that would be fantastic, but certainly in the next couple of weeks. We also have, starting up again in June, on June the 13th, uh, Heart to Heart. That's a, a ladies' ministry. 7 o'clock on Monday evenings, the second and fourth Monday evening. They're taking uh, May off, and they're going to start a new series uh, on Monday, June the 13th. So just making you aware of that, ladies. And then our family camp is, starts Sunday afternoon, June the 26th, and then it goes through Thursday of that week, I think it is, through the 30th. Uh, but we need you to register for that. Space is limited, so please do. All right, page 11 in our series on making peace, and you see at the top there it says, conflict starts in the heart. Conflict involves, top of that page, both action and reaction. If we initiate conflict by our words or actions, then we know we're at fault, whether we're willing to admit it or not, but it gets more difficult when someone else initiates and we simply respond. So let me stop there. We don't normally think about our conflicts with, with others in, in this way. We think about uh, conflict, we don't think about our responsibility in the conflict as the victim or the, the non-initiator. We look at who started it. I mean, that's what we've been taught since we were a kid, right? You know, he started it, she started it. You know, and, and some dads have taught their boys, hey, if somebody starts it, buddy, you finish it, okay? <laughs> So then that goes into our other, our other relationships. But in fact, even if we're not the initiator, we have responsibility for how we interact in this relationship, perhaps with a very difficult person. Proverbs 15 and verse 1, Proverbs 15, 1 says, A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Now, you might be sitting there thinking, hey, that hasn't worked for me. I've been quite gentle. In fact, I've been basically a doormat for a long time. I'm in a relationship with someone, you may be thinking, that is harsh all the time. I'm just with a mean person, a difficult person to live with. And you may be married to that person. So it's not like you have an, an opportunity to make a, a change. Uh, unless, they, unless they get violent or something like that. So you're stuck in the relationship. 
And it's a relationship with someone who, no matter how soft your answer, how gentle your answer, they remain angry and they remain harsh. So I understand that there are situations like that. It doesn't mean the Bible's wrong then when it says, though, in Proverbs 15, a gentle answer turns away wrath, a harsh word stirs up anger. I just remind most of you, because we teach this in our How to Get the Most Out of Your Bible class that we ask everybody in our church to take, but that Proverbs are not legal guarantees. The book of Proverbs, and a proverb by its very nature, is not designed to be a legal guarantee, but it, rather a general truth. That's why it's called a proverb. And the book, the collection of those in your Bible is that. So the Bible has labeled these as these general truths, has never made a claim that they are legal guarantees that always work, uh, but they are generally true. So if you take uh, Proverbs 22.6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. That's generally true, that if someone is raised right, they'll, they'll come out right, but it's not always true. And we see instances of that in the Bible. In Ezekiel chapter 18, the Bible talks about a righteous man having a violent son, or a violent man having a righteous son. So it's not always a cause and effect, but generally so, and generally a gentle answer turns away wrath, and a harsh one stirs up anger. So we need to think about then our reaction, even if we're not the initiator of the, of the conflict. But we tend to focus, unfortunately, always on who started. But here's how we should see our circumstances. And when I say our circumstances, circumstances include relationships. Sometimes we think of uh, circumstances as uh, inanimate things. They don't involve persons. You know, my circumstance is that how much income I have and the struggle that I have with, with money. So that's my, my circumstance. Or I have a health issue. That's my, my circumstance. It may not involve any other person that's creating trouble. I'm just in trouble. But all of that is under the umbrella of circumstance. Your circumstance is things that are going on, but also people that are part of what's going on. And... Either way, your circumstance, whether it involves people or not, and of course conflict always involves people, but either way, whether it involves a person or not, we should see the circumstance not as a creator but a revealer. That is, the circumstance didn't make you the way you are. It reveals what's already there. The circumstance didn't create anger, it revealed anger. And what we tend to do when we say, because what do we say? He made me so mad, right? So that makes that person the creator. They created my anger. And then if that's the case, they created my anger, well, then my focus is going to be outside of myself. It's going to be on them. As soon as they can get it together, we'll be okay. No, I'm not, it's going to sound like as I go through here, I'm defending the outside angry person. Of course I'm not. But what I'm trying to do is to say to us, look, if you're at a class like this on making peace, then you're probably somebody who's willing to consider doing what's necessary to resolve conflict. That's why you're here. So you're probably not the initiator. Most of the people here, I can say just by virtue of the fact that you are here, are not the initiator. So I want to help us then, if we're not the initiators, if we're receiving it from somebody else, to see then that it's not good for us to continually focus 
on the outside and what the other person is doing, but rather to look inside and see what it is that this circumstance, including a difficult person, has revealed about us. Adversity exposes. Adversity exposes me. And it definitely exposes me. I've been exposed in adversity too many times to count. And I'm 60. And I'm a pastor. And I teach this stuff. And something can happen, and I, I can blow that. I can blow everything I'm going to say to you guys today in a minute. I did that this past week. Somebody called the church office. Some guy called the church office. And he says, uh, this is how he starts it. He says, uh, hey, is there anybody there who can answer a Bible question? <laughs> well, I'm ticked already. <laughs> I answered the phone, Community Bible Church. So I'm like, okay, what, what's up with that? I was also having to run out the door, but, I, but I, he says, is there anybody there who can answer a Bible question? I said, I'm running out the door, but I'll, if it's not very long, if, if it's a long one, we can talk later. He says, oh, okay, well, I'll give you the question, and then you can decide if it's you know, long or short. How's that? Okay, you just took up 10 more seconds. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> okay. And, and then he says, you know, I'm just here reading my Bible, and I'm reading in John 17, and then he reads in verse 3, and I said, yep, I'm familiar with it, and he says, I'm, I'm doing this. <laughs> but he's going to make a claim about what the Bible teaches regarding the Trinity, it turns out. He says, so I'm reading my Bible in John 17, 3, and, you know, Jesus says very clearly there's one God, and then I look on your doctrinal statement. All right, now I'm downright mad. I mean, you called me to say you've got a question, and the truth is you don't have a question. You've called me to make a statement about what we believe regarding the Trinity, and it's wrong, and how you've got the right answer. Don't do that to me. And so he does, and I say, I catch my breath, and I say, well, one place to start is don't build your doctrine based on a single verse in the Bible. Because the Bible has 1,189 chapters in it. And it says a lot about Jesus and his relationship to the Father and the Holy Spirit and what we call the Trinity. And then he says, I've read the Bible and it says nothing about. And then here's where it went south. I've read the Bible, and it says nothing about. And I said, then you don't read very well. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's all true. He clearly is not reading very well, and he's clearly got an agenda when he called. And then it was, it was not pleasant after that. Now, I'm confessing to all you, really. And that's not okay. Because when something like that happens, it reveals something. It reveals something about me. I don't like to be inconvenienced. I got to go out the door. Phone rang. Should I answer it? 
I mean, that was the first question. Then I decided to answer it before I go out the door. And then it's this guy doing that. And so that reveals something. I don't like to be inconvenienced. I'm impatient. All of that is stuff that's going on in my heart. And then you're going to call here and you're going to act like you know this stuff. And you, you, you see what I mean? I mean, don't you know who I am? I pastor a church. And you're going to challenge me on this? I, I mean, pride then wells up. In a minute, that kind of thing can happen. And I'm, I never cease to be amazed at how quickly I can blow what it is I'm teaching. So I'm guessing that's true for you as well. That you've got stuff going on in your heart that adversity reveals, adversity exposes, circumstances expose. So here's an illustration of that. Um, if I take this bottle of water, some of you are at a bit of a distance, but if I take this bottle of water and I shake it, watch what happens. So I shake it and some water comes out. Now, if I say to you, why did water come out of the bottle? Most of you would say, because you shook it. But the right answer is actually, the reason water came out is because there was water in there. Because if the water, if, if the bottle was empty and I shook it, then nothing would come out, right? What comes out is what's in there. And what we tend to focus on is the circumstance that revealed it. The circumstance causes it to come out. But the circumstance is not what placed it. It shows it. That's why I say adversity exposes. The circumstances are not a creator, but rather they are a revealer. They reveal what's in our hearts. So my dear wife, Kim, she, and I may have used this illustration earlier, but she tells the story to ladies and mothers about the struggle she underwent when uh, Annie, our second daughter, was an infant and a toddler, and Annie was very hard, she was very, and she was angry. And Annie would demonstrate her anger. Now, she's the sweetest thing in the world now, but we had to beat that into her. <laughs> but it was, di it was difficult. And I'm glad we can laugh about it now, but it, but it was hard. And it was particularly hard for Kim because she was with her most of the time. And Kim bought a book called The Heart of Anger by Lou Priolo. And that book is about children who are particularly angry kids and hard to handle with their anger. So she bought it to find out what's going on with Annie. But her testimony is that as she's reading about the heart of anger, it revealed her own anger in her own heart. And how angry she was becoming because of the battles she was continually having to undergo with her little one. And it actually had a transformative effect on, on Kim. So yes, Annie was this external stimulus. Yes, Annie had this anger issue. But Kim saw that what was being revealed was actually what was going on in her heart as well. What happened this week revealed what's going on in, in, in my heart. And the same thing happens with you. So, back to the top paragraph there on page 11. And do we have any notes? Does anybody know? Did we get any notes? And that extra notes, sets? Yeah. 
see if the, yeah, if you don't mind. Thanks, Jerry. Top of page 11, middle of the paragraph. In those cases, we tend to point at the other party or perhaps the circumstance and blame them or it. He knows how to push my buttons. Or all I wanted was some peace and quiet, and I come home to, and here it goes. Our tendency is to point outward to the initiating person or situation, to the stimulus rather than to our response. But the Bible teaches that conflict is always an inside job. Out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander, said Jesus. So what is the root of what it is we, we struggle with then in our, our conflict? It's from James chapter 4, and it is this inside job. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Now just look at that carefully. Here we are in a class on how to overcome conflict. Here's the Bible saying what causes conflict, what causes fights and quarrels. And then it says rhetorically, the answer is, is yes. And the expected answer is yes. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? The Bible does not go outside. It starts inside. And so I can have someone initiate... But in my response, my response is revealing something that's going on inside, in my heart. They come from your desires that battle inside, not out. It's not outside. And notice the word desires there. It doesn't say, don't they come from your evil desires that battle within you? It's just desires. So the desire, the thing I want, that's what desire is, it's, it's to want. The thing or the person that I want, desire, may or may not be a good thing or person. It may or may not be evil. It could be either. It could actually be a good thing that I want so much that I'm willing to sin in order to get it. So we have some notes here. Anybody over on this side need notes? Are they? Okay. Everybody okay over here? We need one over here. All right, yeah, that's going for 50 bucks, that, <laughs> that one copy. All right, well, when you get them out here, we got a few up here, and we got one way up front here, Daniel. Hey, I'm looking out for you, Deja, taking care of you, okay? Oh, sorry, Deja. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? And it doesn't say, if it said, don't they come from your evil desires? That's the way most of us think about it. You know, I get into these problems because I've got some evil desire in, inside of me. No, it may be a desire for a good thing that I want so much that I'm willing to send to get it. So here's an illustration. Again, up at the top paragraph. You know, he knows how to push my buttons. All I wanted was some peace and quiet, and I come home to, you know, this chaos. Now, is wanting, desiring, peace and quiet an evil thing? Obviously, no, right? So that's a, a fine thing. And after you've perhaps been at work and you've, you're tired, it's even a good thing. But you can want that so much that in its absence, you're willing to sin. 
So you come home, and it's not the way you wanted it to be. It's not the way you expected it to be, and then you blow up. Say cutting things. You sin because of what you want, even if that thing you want is a good thing. And the Bible's saying that all starts within us. Verse 2, you want something, but you don't get it. You kill and you covet. So the kill part is obviously physical, but covet is internal. You burn with this desire, and because you're burning with this covetous desire, even for a good thing, then you're willing to sin in its absence. But you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and you fight. And then down in verse 4, notice where James goes with this then. What's, what's happening here? Why is that going on inside my heart, inside your heart? Because you're adulterous people. Wow. You adulterous people. So he is calling me, calling you, an adulterous, spiritually adulterous person. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? So you are, I am, bowing to my idol that I have set up in my heart when in that moment this thing that I want so much becomes so important to me that I'm willing to sin to get it. Now, it doesn't mean that you've rejected God for the entirety of your life, but in that moment, you want that thing, the peace and quiet, whatever it is, you want that more than you revere God. And because of that, it's become idolatrous to you. Verse 5, do you think the Scripture says without reason the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? Is it for no reason that you as a regenerated person who has a, a living spirit rather than being dead spiritually, you're alive spiritually, do you think it's for no reason that that spirit, notice the, the two words, envies intensely, that is, intensely desires desires your heart, desires to capture your heart, but there's a battle going on in your heart and in my heart. And the battle takes place in the moments, every moment of every day, in the transactions that happen throughout your day. The phone rings, you're on the way out, a guy is a smart aleck, and then you sin. In it. Or I shouldn't say you sin, I sin. But the spirit envies intensely. The spirit's involved. The spirit has a dog in this fight. But make no mistake, it is a fight and it's an ongoing fight. But thanks be to God, he gives more grace. He opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Those of us who are willing to admit that there's this inside job going on in us and that it gets the better of us. And rather than just focusing outside of ourselves and saying it's because of what the person said, it's because of what they do, they push my buttons, now I'm, I'm willing to look at myself and what the Lord is graciously doing to reveal what's happening inside my heart. That circumstance that you think is the cause of your conflict is actually God graciously showing, showing you where you need to grow. You got, you got an idol problem. I've got an idol problem. 
and we set up these idols in our hearts. We want certain things. We want them a certain way. And when they don't happen that way, and it might just be a flash, it might be an instant, but it reveals the throne on which that idol sits. So, dealing with idolatry. Middle of page 11. The definition of an idol. An idol is anything apart from God that controls us and that we depend on to be happy, fulfilled, and secure. Now, that speaks in large terms, you know, when you get a phone call and it's just happening like that, you know, this phone call doesn't define my life. You know, it happened, it happened quickly, but, you know, it's something that controlled me in that moment. And it's something that my heart allowed to take over in that moment so that I responded in an inappropriate, sinful way. It can be much larger than that, and it can be an ongoing thing. But all of those are idolatrous, things that control us and we depend on. The next several pages are the progression of an idol then. What actually takes place in your heart and in my heart so that these idols develop internally and then they show up externally? That's what the next several pages are about. Now, the next several pages are, I'm going to, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go through all six stages, actually four stages and then three subpoints, so seven. I'm going to go through all of those. They give four here, and then I give these three subpoints. And I'm just going to go through them all, and then you've got the notes there with their lengthy explanation to it, but I'm going to give you my abridged version of it, okay? So if you care to jot this down, you see on page 11, the first stage is I desire, and next to that you could write want, I want, I desire, I want. And again, that, that thing or that person you desire or want may be good. It's not necessarily evil. It may be for a good thing or person, but it always starts with desire. So Daniel's got some more here. All right, all the way up the front here, Daniel. All the way up the front. Thank you. You need one? Okay. And then we have some over here. Right Here you go. Very good, thank you. Yeah, you got some over here, Diane, you need one? Did you want me to call your name out, Diane, in front of everyone? No? Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. All right, so anybody else? Thanks, Daniel. I desire, I, I want. Maybe for a good thing, but it always starts there. But then it moves on to the second, and here's the second. They call it, I demand, on page 12, but I call it, I need. Because I want to make sure we use the language that we most often use. I need this. And so uh, I demand to have it because I need it. It's a legitimate demand. So I need you to be more cooperative when I come home from work and have the place in a different shape than it is like you've been doing it. Okay? And I, I need this. It's not just a desire. I, I, I have to have this in order for me to function well. And that's what we, we create these needs. And the counseling world is filled with people who tell you that 
the needs that you have and the legitimate needs that you have. And of course, we have needs for food and we have needs for shelter and we have those kinds of needs. But then they, they go into psychological needs. And we become convinced that I need this and therefore it should be supplied. That's why the demand piece. So I say right next to I demand, I need. Because that's the kind of language we, we most often use. And then next, they say, it goes from I need, or excuse me, I demand, bottom of page 13, to I judge. And I suggest that you write next to the word I judge, I must. Okay, I need this. Now it goes to I must have this. This is a must. There are some needs that I have. They're needs, but I'm a big person, and so I can overlook some of my needs. But there are other ones that fall into the category of as I, I must absolutely have this. And now, top of page 15, because that's true, in its absence, I punish. So here's where now something that started inside of me comes outside. Because when we say I punish, who am I punishing? There's another party involved. There's, there's someone or someones that have failed to provide what I need, what I must have. And so I, I punish. So at this point, let's make sure we understand what an idol is. We gave the definition on page 11. But I want to make clear that an idol is often found in wanting good things too much. An idol is often found in wanting otherwise good things but wanting them too much. And you know that it's want, you want it too much when you're willing to send to have it. Okay, we all clear on that. All right, that being the case... I've got my I desire, I want. I've got my I demand, I need. I judge, I must. And then because that didn't happen, it goes to I punish. And now, as I said, it moves from outside of me to involve somebody else. Because I'm punishing someone or someones. And let me elaborate on that I punish piece then. They don't have, this is not in the notes, but the I punish piece goes like this. Since this is a legitimate must-have need, then you should provide it. So you've got I want slash, or excuse me, I desire slash want, I demand slash need, I judge slash I must have. And because all that's true, now there's something that becomes incumbent upon you. You should. In my heart, you should. All right, now it's moved outside of me and it's externalized to you. You should. But because you, who should provide this, are a big fat sinner, the next stage is you didn't. You should. But you didn't. And the final stage of the I punish, the I punish has got these three steps. You should, you didn't, and then the third is you'll pay. And that's what goes on in our hearts. 
we convince ourselves that we have a right to something, that it's a legitimate need. In fact, it moves beyond that. I must have it. And because I must have it, and if we're in relationship and you're supposed to be a part of providing it and you don't, okay, now we got the I punish part. And that is you should have. There's something, there's an ought that's imposed upon you, a responsibility imposed on you. You should, but you didn't, and so you're going to pay. And you've got many a marriage. You've got many a relationship, many a coworker, many a neighbor who's in this, who's in the cold war of you should have, you didn't, you'll pay. You say, well, okay. That's what goes on in our hearts. That's how it then comes externally. So what am, I, what am I supposed to do if I'm living with a person or I'm in relationship with a person who won't cooperate, who cares not about my well-being, who, in fact, is just fine to harm my well-being, to belittle me verbally, and on it goes. What am I supposed to do about a person like that? I mean, you should, you didn't, but they're just fine with that. The fact that they should and they didn't. So what am I supposed to do with it? We need, what you have to do with it then is back up and go back to the beginning. And remember how it started? I desire slash I want. And then redefine what it is you desire and what you want. You know, it may have been, I, I want peace and quiet. I'll just keep using that illustration. I want peace and quiet. But what if I can't get my spouse, you know, or others in my household to cooperate with this? Now what am I supposed to do? I need to go back and I need to take a closer look at that. How much do I want and desire peace and quiet? Is there something or someone I want more than comfort? And from a Christian standpoint, the answer has to be always yes. And so I go back up to it and I say, okay, Lord, I'm not going to allow this desire for a good thing to rule me. You're going to rule me. The Spirit of God is going to rule my heart, not an idol, even a good idol, that I'm replacing it with. And so you dethrone the idol and you enthrone the Lord. So it's okay to want the peace and quiet. It's okay to regularly remind that that would be very helpful to me. But if the person doesn't provide it, then in all of those things, you want God more than you want that idol. And when you do that, now the rest of this falls in line. I'm not demanding, I'm not claiming this is a need because in Christ I have all I need. And if that's really true, then if there is something I would like that's not being supplied, I don't have to wig out about it. I don't have to sin about it in order to get it. Now turn to page 16, if you will, in the, in the notes then. Now 
the identification of an idol. How can you discern when a good desire might be turning into a sinful demand? Well, ask x-ray questions to identify desire that might, may have become idols. What am I preoccupied with? What is the first thing on my mind in the morning and the last thing on my mind at night? All right? So some of you know, you can identify that right now. You've got something going on in your life, and it's the, first, it's the thing you're thinking about most of the time. Now, for many of us, maybe we don't have that, but some of you do. So that's one way to identify it. How would I complete this statement? If only, and then fill in the blank, then I would be happy, fulfilled, and secure. If only I had, if only they would, if only it was, fill in the blank. Then I would be happy, fulfilled, and secure. And if that, if that thing you put in the blank is going to be something other than your relationship with Jesus Christ, then what does that person or thing become? Right? Lord, I can't be happy, fulfilled, and secure in you unless I have this other thing. What do I want to preserve or what is it that I want to avoid? You know, so preserve. I want to preserve a friendship. But I want to preserve that friendship at the expense of truth. Because the truth is, I've got this friend, I've got this person that the Bible tells me I'm supposed to love. And love is, is willing to confront, not in a hostile way, but in a loving way, for the benefit of the other person. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, Galatians 6, 1. If you see a brother or sister caught in a sin, those of you who are mature seek to restore such a one. But it goes on to warn, do so in gentleness. So the Bible tells us that if we see something and we love in somebody's life, we're in their sphere of influence. But it may be that I just want to preserve the peace but it's a fake peace. You guys remember two weeks ago when we started this series, I talked about peace fakers? Peace fakers just don't want any, just avoid any conflict. So I just want to preserve the fake peace, and therefore I'm not willing to obey what God says. I'm willing, I, I want to avoid this coming to the fore, so we'll just sweep it under the rug. Where do I put my trust? Am I trusting this temporal human relationship for my well-being? What do I fear? When a certain desire is not met, do I feel frustration, anxiety, resentment, bitterness, anger, or depression? Is there something I desire so much that I'm willing to disappoint or hurt others in order to, to have it? As you search your heart for idols, you'll often encounter multiple layers of concealment, of disguise, and justification. One of the most subtle cloaking devices is to argue that we want only what God Himself commands. Here's an example. A mother may desire her children be respectful, obedient to her, kind to one another, diligent in developing their gifts and talents. And she can back up each goal with a specific scripture that shows that God Himself desires those. When they don't fulfill them, even after her repeated encouragement or correction, she may feel frustrated, angry, resentful. She needs to ask, why am I feeling this way? 
Is it a righteous anger that they're not living up to God's standards or a selfish anger they're not giving me the smooth, comfortable, and convenient day that I want? In most cases, it's a mixture. Part of her truly wants to see her children love and obey God in every way, both for His glory and for their good. But another part of her is motivated by a desire for her own comfort and convenience. Which desire is really controlling her heart and actions? And then it goes on to say what you've heard me say. If God is controlling it, then I'll respond to it in a godly way. You know that it's not God controlling it when you respond to it in, a, in an ungodly way, when you're willing to sin in order to, to have it. All right, bring your notes with you next week. We'll make some more notes just in case anybody forgets. If anyone forgets, we won't call you out in all, in all likelihood, Diane. But <laughs> and happy Mother's Day to all the ladies, and let's pray. Father, we thank you again for the blessings of, of today. Thank you for being able to sing praise to you and be able to learn of you. Uh, Thank you especially for being able to set aside this day to think about your profound gift of ladies, of womanhood, of motherhood. And Lord, I pray your blessing upon our ladies uh, today. And may they uh, see you and may they be, uh, be uh, re-thrilled in, in their hearts with who you are and what you have done for them in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, go with us now this week to the places that you have assigned to us and help me to be able to answer the phone better than I did last week. And help all of us, Lord, to be in the, in the places we're in and the circumstances that, that arise to manifest hearts that love you first and foremost and, and present a Christ-like attitude in all things. And Lord, when, not if we fail, help us to be honest about that and to repair to the confession and the forgiveness that you tell us about in your word. If we confess our sin, you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Go with us as we serve you. We ask you, bring us back safely next Lord's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.